Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. On today's episode, we have Emily J. Hooks, who is a forgiveness expert. And today's episode, we are doing a better conversation on forgiveness. And uh, if you don't know, Emily J. Hooks is an author, uh, forgiveness coach, and the founder of the Forgiveness Academy. And uh, her work with forgiveness and healing began 14 years ago after an extraordinary journey through challenges. By all accounts, she should not have survived. And her mission today is to share the power and purpose of forgiveness with the world and to help us all realize our true strength in the absence of fear and the illusion of victimhood. And uh, this was a great conversation, and I don't want to make you wait any longer. So here is our conversation on forgiveness with Emily J. Hooks. Well, today we are joined with Emily J. Hooks. Emily, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. It truly is an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I was wondering if maybe we could start off by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe some of your story and what drove you to the point that you are now considered an expert on the topic of forgiveness. You know, it's, it was not an easy path. <laughs> um, I had a really challenging childhood, as many people do. Not maybe exceptionally challenging, but uh, I had an abusive father um, and um, a lot of addiction in my family. My father kidnapped me when I was a little girl and hid me from my family for three and a half years um, and out of the country. Um, and so... Um, those events really affected me. And as um, a young person, I used drugs to manage that pain that I felt. So I didn't uh, feel like I had any other resources available. And that was very common in my environment. Um, I had my son when I was 19. Um, he's 28 now. And uh, we did pretty good for a few years, but I still had not processed the trauma from my childhood. And I got addicted again in my early 20s as a mother. I uh, ended up losing my son to my parents uh, for uh, three and a half, four years. Um, uh, ended up homeless, uh, extremely uh, sick, almost died several times uh, at my own hand and at other people's hands. Um, and then a series of sort of revelations and mystical experiences happened. And um, I walked away from that life. And within a matter of a few months, everything had changed. Um, and I started studying religion from, I mean, uh, forgiveness from around the world, um, from the religious point of view and, and, and secular. And um, I developed um, a process. It wasn't developing a process at the time. I was just trying to manage living. Um, uh, and I kind of stumbled on the realization of just how powerful it is to liberate us from the illusion of our stories and the illusion of being a victim in our lives. Um, and so I practiced forgiveness for 15 years and then one day, and I never had a conversation with anybody about it because it's not necessary to do that. And we can talk more about that. Um, 
one day we I was having a conversation in a book club and shared my experience and within a year I'd written the book and dedicated my life to sharing the power and purpose of forgiveness. So Wow. Thanks for thanks for sharing that story with us. And I I'm just glad that that you uh you're willing to share that story with people and that you have a platform where you're able to use that. And as we try to have better conversations and ask better questions, one of the places we always try to start from is maybe where, where we're getting things wrong or having the conversation wrong or asking misguided and unhelpful questions. So when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, what would you say are some of the biggest misperceptions you see that people have about forgiveness? So probably, you know, the number one, uh, you know, misconception or misperception that people have is that uh, somehow they're going to be condoning uh, the things that have happened, that they're uh, giving up their right to justice um, uh, in the process of forgiving. Um, And that's just not the case. Um, You're not condoning unfair behavior. You're not giving up your right to justice. In fact, um, in my opinion, justice becomes much more real because rather than coming from a place of vengeance, um, we're coming from a place of of restitution uh, when we learn to forgive. Um, And so, you know, I think that's one of the many things that's wrong with the justice system as it is today is really it's not based on true justice and fairness and mercy. It's based on um, control. Yeah. Um, thanks for that. And kind of related, what do you think are some maybe bad questions that you've heard people ask in regard to forgiveness, if there are any? Yeah, well, you know, I'll say this. At the beginning of the process, I don't think there are any bad questions because, mm. you know, while healing takes place in the heart, uh, we get to a place of willingness to heal by, you know, reconciling our belief structure and our worldview with what it is we feel compelled to do to make our lives better. Um, And so if there's confusion, and for most people there are, and the reality is we live in a very unforgiving world, and there are a lot of misconceptions about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. I just named two, but there's a long list. (laughs) And so, you know, having that conversation at the beginning of the process you know, being sure that, you know, it's letting the other person off the hook or letting yourself off the hook or whatever the misconception might be, having those conversations is always helpful to reconcile how it is we can choose to do something so bold in such an unforgiving world. There is a point in the process when there are questions that get in that don't really serve a purpose. And I think that those questions are based on, um, where we are in our development. So, you know, questions of fairness and being really attached to the story that we have about things are really uh, um, things, ways of viewing the world and our, and our experiences that we develop at a very young age. And particularly if we experience trauma, sometimes we get stuck in, in, in viewing life that way. Um, And so at a certain point, we have to recognize that in order to evolve, in order to grow, in order to be liberated from the painful uh, perceptions we have about our lives, we have to ask better questions. We have to let go of 
the questions that there really are no answers to. You know, why do bad things happen? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Um, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think that's that's really awesome. I I think something you, you said that really stuck out to me just that was really powerful is, is you talked about um, forgiveness being liberating, but also that um, it's an act of boldness uh, in such an unforgiving world. That's I think that's really great. And uh, I would just love to know before we get the conversation going down more specific questions, uh, how would you define forgiveness? I define forgiveness in the context of process uh, because I everything that I teach, everything that I um, that I share with people is based on how to apply uh, the principles. It's not philosophical in nature. Um, and so the process I define as a process of self-actualization or evolution um, in which we choose to move through our hurt feelings, shame, anger, resentment are the big three, uh, in favor of or in exchange for self-love, self-compassion, and empathy for other people or connection to other people. Um, most of the experts in the field of forgiveness uh, define it in a similar way in the context of it being about choosing compassion and connection over our uh, shame and resentment and uh, impulse for vengeance. I've never heard it that way before. That was really good. Yeah. So when, when we consider that, um, if we first started with with the idea of when we've been hurt by someone else and we need to forgive others. What, why is that so difficult? Why, why do people struggle so much with being able to forgive someone else for the hurt that's been caused to them? You know, um, I, don't, I, I don't think there's just one answer to that question, but I do think that to a certain extent it's cultural um, you know, it's not universally difficult for human beings to be forgiving and compassionate. There are cultures around the world uh, that that um, manifest that quite easily. Um, but we live in a culture that values vengeance. We live in a culture that values, you know, um, um, you know, making people pay for the mistakes that they make. Um, uh, part of that has to do with being in an individualistic culture. You know, when you look at more collective cultures like in Asian countries, uh, they, the, the way they see forgiveness is the same, but the way they approach it is a little bit different because uh, their assumption is that uh, if another person's well-being isn't considered, neither is theirs, and we don't tend to have that. So I think part of it is cultural. Um, and I think uh, I, uh, part of it is the way we're raised, which is also cultural, but, um, you know, that affects our psychology. Um, it affects our faith traditions or, the you know, the, the way our faith traditions are passed down from generation to generation. Um, I do think faith uh, can play a big part in it. And research shows that people of faith uh, uh, tend to be more forgiving um, but there are some unique challenges that people of faith face because there's the confusion about, and we're, we'll talk more about this later, but the confusion about, well, if God's doing it, why do I need to do it? <laughs> um, and so that can create a unique challenge, like a wait and see kind of challenge, you know, mentality with regard to forgiveness. Um, from the psychological perspective, there's also, you know, this sort of um, 
addiction to the drama, you know, this, you know, addiction to the identity of being the bad guy or the victim um, that really uh, gets a lot of uh, attention in the world that we live in today. Um, And so we have to be willing to let go of that. For sure. And uh, one of the things you just said that, that, again, really jumped out and kind of segued into one of the questions we had, which you talked about the unique challenges people of faith can have when it comes to forgiveness. On one hand, they can be uh, more forgiving, yes, because there's there's passages that talk about, you know, well, you should forgive others because God forgave you. You know, Jesus talks about that. Uh, but Jesus also then says, uh, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. And I think um, some Christians out there that take that very literally uh, can maybe run into an issue when maybe faced with an experience where they need to now forgive someone, but they may not be emotionally ready to forgive. And so I wondered if you could speak to, is there such a thing as not being ready to forgive? And um, what would you say then to people um, that hold that they need to because the Bible tells them so and they they find that conflict within themselves? Yeah. Um, So... Yes, there's such a thing as not being ready to forgive. Um, There is a time and a place for forgiveness, and it's not always that time and that place. Um, You know, there are practical reasons for that, too. If you're not in a safe environment, I wouldn't worry too much about forgiving the other person. I would change my environment first. Right. Um, um, But also just in the context of, of faith, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar, so I don't have any idea what, you know, what the authors of the Bible and Jesus really meant. But here's how I've incorporated it into my belief structure, into my worldview. So there's the aspect of free will, which is integral to, um, to faith. And um, I think that the idea that both God forgives us and that we need to forgive uh, that that uh, paradox can be reconciled by recognizing that uh, we can still have patience and compassion for ourselves to the best of our ability um, when we're not ready to forgive. And our job is to try not to create harm in the world <laughs> during those challenging times. You know, in tribal cultures, some they do things very differently. So if somebody experiences what we call trauma in a tribal culture, they kind of circle around the person and they just like let them like just be their hot mess, (laughs) you know, whatever that looks like, you know, just sleeping all day, laying on the ground and whatever they need to do, right. Eating too much. I don't know, but um, they give them time to process the experience. And we don't live in that world. We live in a world where people are like, get over it, get back (laughs) to work. You still got your kids to take care of you, A, B, C, and D, you know? Um, and that's just not uh, a reflection of the way human psychology works. It's not the way the heart works. Sometimes we need a minute. And I think that's exactly what free will is. I think, you know, if we can leverage our faith to know that when we are ready to forgive, then we will also have that, you know, that forgiveness from God. Um, then we can uh, maybe be a little more kind and patient with ourselves during that time. Absolutely. In uh, my life, in certain experiences with people who 
have felt wronged or have dealt with, um, you know, injustice. Uh, I've had, I've witnessed people in their life come up to them and tell them they can't forgive the person or persons involved unless they repented or apologized or um, had paid for the injustice. And I, I, I liked what you said earlier about the culture in which we live in affecting the way we forgive. And I definitely think we live in a transactional culture where a lot of times if someone doesn't enact the transaction, we think, well, I can't do my part yet either. And I'd love to hear from you uh, if that train of thought is healthy or unhealthy of thinking you can't forgive someone or someone um, unless they have done something or enacted or started repentance or apologizing. Yeah. Um, so um, one of the hardest people I needed to forgive was my mother, interestingly enough, even though my father uh, did so many horrific things when I was young. Uh, we tend to be really hard on our moms, right? They're supposed to protect us no matter what. Um, and it took me a really long time to forgive her. But when I did, and I never had a conversation with her about it, by the way, you know, I spent 30 years telling her how messed up she was and telling her how much she'd messed me up and trying really hard to prove her right. And I realized that that was, you know, basically I was asking her to be remorseful for my suffering and she wasn't going to do it. My mom's kind of a badass. Um, <laughs> or stubborn. Um, uh, she wasn't going to do it, and she and 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 I forgave her, and our relationship completely changed. And I I hated her. I hated my mother. Um, we really had a horrible relationship, um, and now I adore her. And she didn't change. Um, and so I like to tell that story because. You know, we tend to think that we need something from someone else in order to forgive. And that that's just not true. Um, it's okay to feel like you would prefer, you know, repentance from someone. You know, I think that that's a very human, you know, desire. The question is, uh, you know, do you want to keep suffering? You know, really, that's, that's the question. You know, how... how how is it that your perception of the situation right now and an experience of unforgiveness uh, impacting your life? And if it's impacting your life in a way that causes you to suffer, then you can choose to forgive in the absence of any remorse from another person. I, I would add, I, I have seen what Andrew talked about, but in addition to that, one of the things I see people and myself get hung up a lot in the process of trying to forgive is getting laser focused on the question, what happened or like proving that my version of the events is correct. Or I, I can't forgive until you admit that what I say happened is what really happened. And I'm curious, why, why do we get so fixated on that question and what might be unhelpful about that question? I'm not, I'm not sure why we get so fixated on it, um, but it is a very common phenomenon. Um, I will say this, when we get obsessed with anything, we're trying to defend a position. Um, and, and that really makes sense in this context because the reality is what happened isn't knowable. 
And I know that's really, really challenging for people that have experienced extreme trauma uh, because that's me included. Um, And so I get that. And one of the reasons it's challenging is because a lot of times when people experience abuse, they're denied the right to their story. And that's not at all what I'm saying here. Everybody has the right to the story that they have about their lives. Nobody else gets to tell you what you think happened, right? But the reality is there's a ton of research out there that shows just how terrible we are at recalling events, especially when something goes wrong. When we have a, you know, even if it's a minor traumatic event, you know, crime scene uh, research is a good example of this. They figured out 20 20 or 30 years ago that eyewitness accounts are practically um, um, uh, irrelevant and they don't even allow them in uh, um, capital cases anymore because they're so unreliable. Um, So that's that's a very, you know, practical (laughs) explanation and it's really just a partial explanation. There's more to it than that. Um, what we have to do in the process of forgiveness is recognize that there's a difference between what happened, the story we have about what happened, and the impact. So there are three things that we have that we have to deal with, and part of that is recognizing that there's that the what happened is in the past, and so technically it's not knowable. The story, however, is happening in the present moment. So whatever it is you perceive to have happened is very, very real as the story that you have about it. And that's important that it's happening in the present moment because that means you can do something about it. If you're repeating a narrative that you have about something that happened in the present moment, that's a choice. And so you you begin to gain just a little bit more power when you recognize the difference between what happened and the story that you have about what happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's really powerful. Um, which leads me to to kind of ask another thing, and uh, it kind of born out of just my own experience I'm going through right now. But I'm I'm curious, like you spoke a little bit about this on what it looks like. Um, you know, you spoke on forgiving your mom, and you know, you could kind of show how you interacted with her before, and now how you interact with her now, and that kind of speaks to what I'm about to ask. Um, the main question really is, how do we know when we've actually forgiven someone and what does that look like? Um, and just a little context on the question too, like um, something I'm trying to unpack in my own life is like really being able to to trust that I'm feeling my emotions. I think I've uh, spent a lot of time just kind of stuffing those down. And uh, I think if I think about forgiving someone, how do I know that I've actually done that? Or if I've just kind of closed the tap on those emotions and I'm just not even, I've just kind of pushed it away and not truly forgiven them. Can, can you speak on that? Yes, I can. So I, I, I just want to speak on the emotional aspect first um, because it's really important. You know, um, if you go back to the definition of forgiveness, it's a, it is about processing how we feel. So you cannot forgive without processing your emotions. Um, And behind all of the, you know, more masculine and, um, you know, enjoyable negative emotions like anger and indignation, um, 
we always find sadness and sometimes we find fear. And so I just like to, to make sure that it's clear that until we go through that process of feeling those emotions, uh, we're not, you haven't forgiven. You know, you can offer a gesture. This is another challenge in a, in a faith uh, community context is people in faith communities tend to extend uh, a gesture of forgiveness in some communities very quickly. Um, but that doesn't mean that the individuals have necessarily processed the pain associated with whatever it is that has happened. So that's the one thing I want to say. Um, how do you know when you've forgiven someone? You consistently have kind and compassionate thoughts when you think of them. So mm-hmm. when they pop into your mind, the first thing you think is, I hope they're well, right? I hope, I hope they're happy. I hope they have whatever it is that they desire that's life-affirming in the world. You don't have to think all that, but <laughs> it's just a happy thought, right? Yeah. Well-wish. And then you have emotional neutrality around the events, So, you know, I can tell in great detail a lot of the traumas and tragedies that I've experienced in my life on stage because I've processed those emotions. And so I don't have, they're they're not triggering, right? I don't have uh, an emotional response when when I think about the events that took place. So it's compassion for the person and emotional neutrality around the events. And it's consistent, right? So. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's great. So. I remember one time uh, I was at a Christian camp as like a leader and they decided to show a movie night sort of a thing for all the students. And it was like a Christian movie about uh, a a young girl who was sexually abused. And then the rest of the movie is like the young woman learning to forgive her abuser and like that relationship being mended. And I remember one, that was a weird movie to show at a church camp first night. I just want to address that looking back, how strange that was. But then also I remember watching the movie and in an hour and a half, it just feels rushed. And it, it, it left me feeling like, I don't know if that was right. Where in an hour and a half you see someone get abused and then by the end, there's a more healthy way of that relationship. And I would just like to know from you, what does a healthy relationship with someone who's wronged you look like? Whether that be something like in the movie sexual abuse or even just like everyday wrongs that we have with people we work with or in our family. What should that relationship look like uh, in a healthy way? Um, It should look like, you know, an experience of having common humanity, you know, working together to accomplish whatever it is you're together to accomplish, whether that's raising families or, you know, doing work um, at a job or building community or whatever it is. There's, you know, there. So it's important to recognize that forgiveness and trust are completely independent. Forgiveness and reconciliation are completely independent. They're not the same process. And reconciliation is absolutely not necessary in order to forgive. And in a lot of situations, it's not advisable. You know, so in the example you gave, um, you know, the young woman was able to reach a place of forgiveness. And I'm guessing there were circumstances in their lives where her father needed her and she made the choice to be present in his life. Um, and that, you know, that's not something perhaps everybody that would forgive 
sexual abuse would choose to do. Um, and, I, and I think it's important that we not overlay moral imperative on that, right? Um, whether or not someone chooses to engage in relationship with another human being is an extremely personal decision. Um, trust and reconciliation are actually harder than forgiveness because they are interpersonal. Um, forgiveness doesn't require anything from anyone else. Um, reconciliation and trust require compromise. It requires an agreement about uh, shared values and what you know how we're going to operate together in a way that uh, does not cause harm. Um, and so it's more challenging. I, I wanted to ask you one more question around this topic of forgiving others before we move on to a different one. I, I've heard you talk a lot about not being a victim when it comes to forgiving others. And I would be curious if one, you would just elaborate more on that in general, but then also talk about what that looks like in a situation like an abuse uh, setting where you are a literal victim. What, what does it mean to not be a victim during the process of forgiving? So <clears throat> The idea of being a literal victim, um, you know, maybe that's uh, an example of a question um, that is um, more nuanced than it seems. From a sociological point of view, it's important that we recognize that people can be victimized and that otherwise we wouldn't know when somebody had done something wrong. Um, And so I don't mean to discount the concept of someone being victimized. But there is a distinction between being victimized and having the experience of being a victim. So when we carry the the burden of feeling like a victim, we we, um, limit our capacity, I blanked on the word I'm looking for, we limit our capacity to feel our own power. Um, Mm. And uh, so it's, it's, at some point in the forgiveness process, it's helpful to recognize that no one is just a victim and also no one is just a bad guy. You know, um, uh, we're all complex. We've all been both. Um, and uh, so when I talk about, you know, it's important to not identify as a victim, uh, the identify is just as important as the word victim. So it's really about how do you see yourself as a human being? Um, because we have to begin to reclaim some of our power, some of our autonomy, um, and uh, in order to liberate ourselves from the pain of the past. Wow, that is, that is really good. I'm moving on just because we have to for time, but I feel like I could drill down on that even more. But um, we'd like to go into a different section now on like being able to forgive yourself or oneself. And so I just thought we could kick off this section um, just asking like, how do we begin to forgive ourselves and, and what is involved in that? So we begin to forgive ourselves by getting present to the remorse that we feel. Um, really, it's the same as forgiving someone else. It's just a different emotion. 
Um, and so in the absence of feeling remorse or, or guilt um, or shame, if it's uh, more embodied, um, uh, the need for forgiveness, self-forgiveness won't even occur to a person. Um, and that is um, an example of when moral guidance might add value. Um, uh, so, you know, once someone becomes present to the experience of uh, regret or remorse, um, then, then they can begin to uh, identify how that experience affects the way they show up in the world, because it does, even if you're not necessarily conscious to it, unless you've got, you know, um, sociopathic tendencies uh, you know, the pain that you feel will affect the way you function in the world. Um, and that's obviously very, very rare. Um, maybe a lot of people pretend, more so people pretend, I think, than actually experience that um, mm. um, condition. So uh, that's how you begin, is by recognizing the pain that you feel and the limitations that you're experiencing because you're not processing the pain. So... I have met people who, when it comes to experiencing hurt from others, they're like the most forgiving people ever. And um, they're so quick and willing to forgive others. But then when they mess up, they're so hard on themselves. And I'm just wondering, why does it seem even harder to forgive ourselves than to forgive other people. So interestingly, I'm working on a book on self-forgiveness and I just uh, finished the chapter on that uh, very topic. Um, and so uh, it's fresh on my mind. I won't go into all of the reasons that I, that I highlight because y'all don't want to be here all night. My, <laughs> but there, there are some interesting distinctions with self-forgiveness um, some of them are personal and some are interpersonal. So an example of an interpersonal is trying to prove that you're sorry, trying to prove to the other person or people around you in your community that you know you did bad, you know you did wrong, and that can kind of become mixed up in the way we identify. Speaking of identity, another reason is, you know, what we talked about a moment ago is you know, sometimes people really take on the identity of being somebody that always makes, always messes things up, right? You know, somebody with a bad temper might be a good example of that. You know, I'm always losing my temper. And, and eventually, when we don't process how we feel about that and get to the root of it, which involves, by the way, feeling the feelings, um, we begin to identify as that person, um, and so that can happen on either side, either feeling like the bad, bad guy or feeling, you know, powerless in our decisions. Like we always end up in unhealthy relationships, you know, when those always start to come into the picture, uh, then we're, we're beginning to identify. Um, another reason is the way we're raised. Most of us were raised with a very rigid uh, sense of right and wrong. And that's really helpful from a developmental perspective, but it's important as we move into adulthood that we question um, those paradigms and really make sure that it's what's true for us as an individual. And you can do that even in a faith community. 
um, because there's there is obviously going to be variance uh, in what what works for one person versus another person, um, and so um, that rigid uh, relationship to a black and white um, way of seeing the world or belief structure is another reason that self forgiveness is harder. The biggest reason that it's harder is that it's more painful. That's my experience. When I um, started forgiving myself for the impact that I had on my son uh, during my addiction, um, it, would, it would literally knock me to my knees when I, when I got present to the pain. And frankly, I wouldn't have stayed present to the pain had I had any alternative, but I'd tried everything else. I'd already tried drugs. I'd tried suicide. Nothing else was working. I wasn't going to die. Um, and so I realized I had to process the pain. Um, and that was one of the big moments when I realized just how powerful that was, just how powerful it was to respond to my own pain with compassion and tenderness. Um, and what I realized is uh, I felt a little bit lighter and a little bit freer every time I did it. Um, and uh, eventually it became much easier and less frequent. I'd love to hear you uh, comment more on self-identity and labels because I know for me a lot of times when it comes to self-forgiveness I think it always comes back to the labels and identities I've created for myself in my own mind whether that be like well I'm just the guy who's always going to find a way to mess it up in the end or you know like you know I'm just the guy who's going to be unemotional so I'm always going to let people down because I can't get in touch with my emotions and I would just <laughs> and I would just love to hear, like, how do you overcome those identities you give yourselves because they just seem to like, like, it's like a sticker you can't rip off sometimes. Yeah. So um, the two uh, places that I would start um, is, um, uh, and I'll start with the, the compassionate one, is by uh, responding to yourself with kindness uh, when that happens. Uh, that's the magic sauce in all of this, is really just learning to respond kindly and compassionately to yourself, whether you're forgiving yourself or someone else. And the other thing I would do is ask what you get out of it. So we don't have, um, you know, identities randomly. We pick them up because they served us. Uh, and then they stop serving us at some point and it feels like a sticky sticker, right? Like a label that we can't get off. But we have to, if we can go back and, you know, gently explore, you know, how it served us in the past, you know, uh, you know, for a man that, you know, has a hard time expressing emotion, that's not a hard stretch to understand. You grew up in that environment, right? Yeah. Everybody was that way. <laughs> you know, you were told to, you know, don't cry, you know, so that's, that's totally understandable. I get it, you know. Um, unfortunately, it's causing a lot of chaos in the world, so I hope everybody will fix it soon. But <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so two things. What do you get out of it? You know, ask it gently. Ask it, ask it in prayer. You know, where did this come from? You know, uh, and you'd be surprised, you know, when an inkling of, uh, you know, how it serves you uh, comes to you, it gets a lot less sticky. Yeah, that is all like just so powerful. Um, it's it's amazing. 
uh, just how like this is all syncing up with stuff I've been learning lately. Like you said earlier in regards to, um, you know, how to not be a victim in your forgiving uh, because you can forget your sense of your own self, like your own power. Um, and it comes back to what we're talking here about the labels we give ourselves. Um, and, uh, I just want to stress to our listeners, like, um, this really is like, just so it's seeming so simple, but so powerful and profound if you've never heard of this stuff before. Um, and perhaps even if you've never walked through anything super hard yet in life, um, it might just be like not being open to feelings you don't even know are there, you know? So, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I just want to say thank you so far. This has been so great. I, I had one more question for this section and, uh, I'll apologize at the beginning cause it might take me a minute to actually ask it cause I'm still kind of processing through it, but as much as our culture gives this message that's like you're you're perfect just the way you are i actually think that we're not taught well to love ourselves as we grow up and in my job as a youth pastor i work a lot with junior high and high school students and um i i see the concept of performance and, uh, being self-critical what's taught over and over again of like, Oh, you got a B. Why, why didn't you get an A? What do you need to do to get that B up to an A? Like, Oh, you made JV. Why didn't you make varsity? How, how do we get you there? And it's all, how do you get the best grades? How do you get into the best college? How do you get the best job? How do you make the most money? And so we're just wired from an early age to be so self-critical and not have grace for ourselves or love for ourselves. And I guess my question is, how, how do we begin to undo all of that wiring? And how, how do we begin to learn self-love? Because I, I imagine all of that has to go into our difficulty to forgive ourselves when we mess up. Absolutely. It's a huge component of it. You know, the Dalai Lama says, if we taught compassion in schools, the world would be a fundamentally different place. Mm. So true. Um, yeah, self-forgiveness, self-love is a component of forgiveness. And for a lot of people, you know, um, it's an absolutely foreign concept. And, but that's really just the way we're raised, as you said, you know. So the question is, how do you, how do you begin to experience self-love? And um, a really practical way to do that is to sit quietly and get present to your experience of love for another person or a pet and um, really embody that experience so you know i do this in meditation with clients and at workshops where we put our hands over our hearts and we visualize the person maybe it's a moment in time that was really special or maybe it's just a relationship and just begin to really get present to what that that experience of love feels like in your body and then visualize yourself as a child mm. And 
first, when you first start doing the exercise, it's helpful to, to, to notice the shift. So what, what oftentimes will happen is we'll go into self-critical mode, right? Because that's the way we're raised. And we could have a philosophical conversation about the way, the way we're raised, but I'll just stick to practical guides to forgiveness. Um, notice how it changes. Because for most people at the beginning of the process, it does change. Either we experience numbness, um, uh, which is the most common response, or we experience uh, being self-critical or, or just a sense of disconnect, um, fear for anybody that might have had a challenging uh, childhood. They might experience fear. Um, and then we go back to the experience of love for the other person and we intentionally extend it to that younger version of ourselves. And the reason it's helpful to start with a younger version of yourself is because it's easier right? It's easier to look at the three-year-old version of you and really allow yourself to fully embody that experience of love for that version of you. And something really magical happens when we extend love to the ver younger version of ourselves, And that is we begin to be able to experience it when we do this with practice uh, for ourselves today, you know. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick example of uh, just how powerful this is. Um, I learned this this year, actually late last year, of um, um, some things that happened uh, during my addiction and my family um, that were extremely um, horrific. Um, and I wasn't there. And um, uh, it was sort of a worst nightmare scenario and I just discovered found out about this last year so I obviously uh cried uh, intensely and experienced a lot of sadness um <clears throat> it was in an interaction with another person so I dealt with the interaction um and then I went into my bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I said I love you we're gonna get through this and that's really how I felt I really felt such compassion for the pain that I felt for, for not being there at that moment in time. Um, so it is possible to have the same experience of love for other human beings towards yourself. We just have to learn because we weren't taught. And for those of you who are parents, um, I would encourage you to... You know, uh, take time to teach your kids how to do that. Um, and first, take time to learn it for yourself because you can't teach something you don't know. But then, um, and then I'll create space uh, for them to have compassion and tenderness towards themselves, no matter what grade they get, no matter how bad they mess up. You know, uh, having love for yourself will compel you to do the right thing more than any sort of punishment ever will. So we've uh, talked a lot about what forgiveness looks like and how to best deal with it and approach it. But I would like to get into more nuts and bolts ways of talking about forgiveness. And so when it comes to situations where we need to be forgiven and ask for forgiveness or uh, we need to forgive someone else, what does that look like in a more nuts and bolts approach? Because I know a lot of times, I think sometimes, at least for me personally, it never gets to that point because you just start worrying about 
but like what's the best way to ask for forgiveness or what's the best way to show that you have forgiven and, and then you just don't do it because there's all these different ways it unfolds in your head and it's almost like, well, none of those look good and so you just don't do it. So how would you recommend when it comes to either asking for forgiveness or forgiving someone, what that looks like? Yeah, so forgiving someone else, I wouldn't, uh, I would not in- encourage most people to involve the someone else. Um, there are uh, situations that are an exception, um, you know, uh, a really supportive spouse, um, a really supportive parent, although parents often have narratives and stories, so that becomes challenging. Um, a sibling sometimes, um, but for the most part, you give away just a teeny bit of your power when you involve someone in the process of forgiving them. The other thing that you do is you might subtly uh, begin to uh, create um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a bargain. Um, and you don't you don't want to do that. You want to keep it pure and you want to keep it personal. It's about you processing your pain. Um, and so from a very practical point of view, it, most of the time I would encourage people to not engage interpersonally if they're forgiving someone else. Now, if you are asking for forgiveness, um, I would um, um, I would get really present to uh, the sadness or the regret that you feel, um, and I would communicate that. Um, and I would eliminate all uh, expectations. You know, when we um, tell someone that we really need them to forgive us, um, it can make their journey harder. So I'll, I'll use my son as an example here. <clears throat> when I first started going through the process, I would, I would tell him over and over, and I'm sure you know somebody like this, over and over and over how sorry I was, you know, I was just so distraught. And that was authentic. Truly, I was distraught. And I truly just needed him to forgive me so badly. I realized after some time that two things were happening. The first thing that was happening is I was asking him to do part of my work for me. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that was happening, at, at, because he's my child especially, is I was really kind of subtly telling him that I'd done something that had taken him off his path, that somehow he was other than he was supposed to be because of the experiences that he had. And I don't think that's knowable, you know? Do we want our people, the people that we love to suffer? No, but is suffering inevitable in the world? It kind of is, so it must have some sort of purpose. And that's, that's when I begin to defer to something greater than me. Um, and so um, I think it's important to express your remorse, but to give the people in your life space to have their own journey, uh, whatever that looks like for them. And also simultaneously forgive yourself. That's where your power is. That's That's interesting. I never thought about it that way before that having an incessant need to continually bring something up, apologizing and asking for forgiveness is basically saying, you're really, really messed up and it's my fault. And I just need you to admit that I completely messed you up so that you can make me feel better. Yeah. Right. And the other point 
is equally as as like mind blowing as when you said they're you're asking them to do your work because it's like a lot of times we'd be saying I can't forgive myself until you forgive me, which put puts it all back on them. Which again goes back to all this this theme of just the the the, the work you have to do within yourself. Um, yeah, it's so good. If we um, kind of end this conversation by looking at the church and the faith community. I guess the first place I would want to start is I know a lot of people have been hurt by the church in some form or fashion. And what does it look like in a situation where you need to forgive an institution or a type of person or a group of people? Because I can imagine that maybe that looks differently than when it's between you and an individual. Well, a church can't hurt someone unless it falls on them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But people in a church might hurt people, right? Yeah. People in authority might hurt people. And that definitely changes the dynamic, especially when it questions, it causes you to challenge uh, your beliefs and your faith. Um, so, um, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the harm that's caused in the world is caused by people, uh, for the most part. And, um, that's not always the case. There are obviously natural disasters and other phenomena that might take place, but when we can, um, when we can really get present to, um, the pain. So that's a more challenging situation because it's more painful, right? Not only are you losing, um, you know, your sense of safety from another human being, but you're losing it from another human being who has authority and who has, um, you know, um, influence on your faith, uh, on your worldview. Um, and so that's very, very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a sense that we lose ourselves, right? Like our, our sense of who we are becomes challenged. Um, and so it's more difficult for the same reason self-forgiveness is more difficult because it's extraordinarily painful. And because we also, you know, the, our belief structure and our faith plays an, plays an integral part in forgiveness, whether, no matter what that is. Um, and, you know, all the monotheistic religions uh, have forgiveness as a central tenant, and a lot of the non-monotheists, whatever, theists, <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Uh, monotheistic religions also have it as a central tenant. And so, um, and I lost my train of thought. It's amazing I went this long without losing my train of thought. It happens all the time. <laughs> so. I mean, all the time. I don't even worry about it anymore. It's worse when I'm on stage. So if forgiveness is an integral part of your faith, then we have to reconcile the uh, undermining of that faith in the forgiveness process. And it can be done But it is painful. It's painful because we have to regain our sense of who we are. And sometimes it's also painful because we lose community. Um, But 
you know, this is a good example of, of, of better questions. Churches can't hurt people. They, they just can't. People in churches can hurt people and people in authority can hurt people. Um, and forgiveness gets a lot easier when we recognize that. Uh, when we recognize that we're forgiving people for actions. You're also not forgiving someone for their character. You know, you know, you might think someone is a total jackass, but I guarantee you his mother doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's not objectively true. Why, how can you forgive someone for an opinion? You can't. You're going to get stuck in a, in a mental loop if you try to forgive someone for a judgment that you have about them. Judgment is the antithesis of forgiveness. It's absolutely about uh, unraveling the attachment we have to our judgments. Um, and so uh, if you begin with a judgment, you're going to get stuck. Um, and and it's, it's, that's okay because eventually we'll recognize that we really need to forgive because we feel hurt. Um, and that is the result of something that happened. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? It does, for sure. Um, and uh, we want to honor your time. I, I mean, I think we could all kind of drill more down on a lot of this. Um, but as we end, if, uh, if we can, I'd love to ask you one more question before we let you plug uh, some of your work. Um, but to sum kind of all of this conversation up, uh, you know, with our show, we like to ask better questions that typically do one of two things or both that uh, bring unity or bring people together and call us into action. And I was just wondering, um, and I hope this doesn't put you on the spot too much, but I was just wondering, like, to sum all of this up, what do you think the better or the best questions are that our listeners can begin asking in terms of forgiveness that will lead them down the road uh, of, of being called into action or to bring unity or even just to begin a journey of forgiveness for themselves? You know, I, I, I think one of the most powerful questions we can ask in the presence of an experience of uh, heart activation, whatever that looks like for you, um, so being still, so not a philosophical conversation is, what do I want? Um, because forgiveness is about alleviating suffering. It's about empowering individuals to contribute more fully to their world. And um, we do that by processing the pain that we feel. Um, and so, you know, when we get quiet and we reflect on what we want, I think for most people, the answer isn't um, revenge. You know, the answer isn't, you know, um, it isn't even justice for most people. It's peace, right? It's community. It's a sense of connection. It's a sense of understanding and harmony in the world. Um, so I think a really good question in the presence of, of an experience of love is what do I want? How can, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. I was wondering maybe just one last, last thing we could end on. Uh, especially since so many of, of our listeners and us ourselves are in um, a church context, in a faith community, 
Many of us are even uh, in a, a pastoral role in some way. It, it's not always us in a situation where we need to forgive, but a lot of times we are alongside someone who is walking through the process of forgiveness. And and you've mentioned many times about how, how painful that can be as you have to address the hurt, address the emotions that you have. So, so what are some of the ways for the church to be most supportive to people who are going through this painful process of forgiveness? So I think um, I'm going to answer this question, and then I'm going to answer one more question. I hope you all don't mind. We love questions. Yeah, I cannot, I can't not address one other thing that we didn't get to. Um, So I think um, one of the most helpful things that people in leadership in the church can do is to help people understand that there is a distinction between the human condition the human process of forgiveness and that it requires intentionality, that it requires choice. And oftentimes it requires choice over and over and over again. Uh, every time we get present to the pain again, we, t- we choose it again, right? Every time we have a hateful thought, we choose it again. Um, and it becomes uh, a virtue, it becomes a discipline, just like anything else. Um, and so I think one of the biggest challenges in faith communities is is that, you know, that the, the confusion between, you know, the forgiveness from God and that somehow it's going to be external. Um, and, you know, if that's true for you, then it's true for you. Um, and that's really, really, really important. But there's also an aspect of it that uh, fully requires uh, um, uh, a choice and an intentionality and an effort on the part of the individual. And um, it's 100% doable. It's like, it's 100%, there's nothing special about me, right? The only reason I figured it out is because I tried everything else, <laughs> right? So it's, it's, anybody can do it. It's just a matter of, are you going to choose to do it? And do you, do you, you know, go back to that question, what do you want? Do you want to contribute more? Do you want to be free from the burden of the things that have happened in the past? And if the answer to that question, those questions is yes, then supporting someone through the process of forgiveness is um, a, a massive blessing for them. You know, uh, people not in a faith community don't have that, you know, um, but the process isn't different. It's the same. For sure. And did you, did you get your other question in there too that you wanted to I did not. So we did not talk about forgiving God. Oh, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> right. Don't we need to just momentarily yes. talk about that? Yes, let's just talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, there's debate about the, whether or not the need for forgiving God should exist. Because if God is perfect, then it, God can't make mistakes, Right. And that's a very interesting philosophical conversation. But on a practical level, when someone experiences something that is not the fault of another person, it might be the circumstances that they were born into, independent of the uh, actions of the parents, maybe the unexpected death of somebody. Um, Anything that happens that is not necessarily at the hand of another person if a person of faith has that experience, they may feel that, uh, that they uh, need to forgive God. 
What I believe about that is that is a question of reconciling your experience of the divine. So if you believe in a benevolent God, then there's an aspect of your faith, there's an aspect of your perception of that being that uh, is outside of that. And so the concept of forgiving God is really about examining what your faith is and what, you're, what, what do you believe in? Specifically, what do you believe in? Because if you believe in something that creates beauty in the world, if you believe in something that, you know, creates miracles and, uh, you know, is, is a God of love, then the need for forgiving that person goes away, that, that deity goes away. But another important aspect of that is recognizing that the, the need for forgiveness always begins with our perception that something in our life or about us is other than it's supposed to be. That's, it always begins that way. So if, if you believe that nothing is other than it should be, then the need for forgiveness does not exist. Mm. So in, in tandem to, to questioning what you believe in is also the question of what is it that you perceive to be other than it should be. So if you unexpectedly lost a loved one, you know, what is it that you perceive to be other than it should be? You perceive that that person shouldn't have died or that that child should not have been abused or whatever it might be. The process of forgiving in that context is a reconciliation of faith that things happen um, that maybe we can't understand or know. You know, I believe, and I know, you know, maybe not everybody believes this, but I believe that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, in the context of my own life, the reconciliation of the extent of suffering that I've experienced and that the people in my life have experienced is about contribution. It's about our ability to... Um, to overcome um, overcome limitation and love in, in, in the face of atrocity. And uh, Desmond Tutu and a lot of other people in a lot of different cultures would have uh, probably the same thing to say about that. Do we wish atrocities didn't happen? Of course we do. Um, the question is, you know, can we be... Can we have faith that things are the way they are anyway and still have an experience of love and gratitude for our lives? I really appreciate that you brought that up because I think one thing I've heard you say over and over again is that so much of forgiveness has to do with perception. And so it, even, if, even if what I think happened is not actually what happened. I still have feelings of bitterness and anger and resentment toward what I think happened that are, are going to 
continue to eat me up inside unless I choose to forgive. And sometimes the reality is we feel that way toward God because of what happened, regardless of whether God is responsible for it or guilty of it or not. And and so I think that's an experience everybody has, even if they wouldn't want to admit that they have that. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up, if nothing else, just to normalize that experience for people. And you know what? That, that pain is real. It's just as real. And so, yeah, question your faith. Question what you believe in and analyze it and, you know, decide, you know, what kind of God you, you want to believe in. But also honor that, that pain, honor that sadness. Um, and that's when that tool of self-love becomes really, really powerful. Well, this has been a really great conversation that could go much, much longer. Uh, And one thing that I've really appreciated about this conversation is how practical a lot of your answers have been. And I know in uh, your book and a lot of the work that you've done, you give some really practical steps for people who want to begin the process of forgiveness of some some first steps they can begin taking. So what, where can people go uh, to find your work to start diving into all of that information that's available? Um, so uh, my book is called The Power of Forgiveness, A Guide to Healing and Wholeness. Um, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Um, if you're in Austin, it's also in the local bookstores. Um so that's a great place to start. Uh, it is a very practical guide. I, you know, there are eight steps that walk, walk a person through the process um, in um, a really um, intentional way. Um, you can also go to my website, which is emilyjhooks.com. I post blogs uh, all the time on there. Uh, like I said, the last one is about why forgiveness, self-forgiveness is so hard. Um, I talk about all the, you know, the, this idea of story and um, what happened. I have a blog post on that. There's a ton of information on there now. Um, and I also, also, I also have a Facebook page uh, for my book and a Facebook group called the Forgiveness Academy. So, and I'm spe- I speak all the time, but you just you have to watch on Facebook for that. Well, thank you so much for being with us and having this conversation. Yeah. It really has been so much fun. This I could do this if I could do this once a week. I'd be so. I mean, just I, I'm not even kidding. I listened to several of your uh, other, and I'm not a podcast listener, honestly. Uh, uh, and I just think you're right on the money uh, with having conversations that uh, that really, really matter. So thank you for. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We worked really hard to try and find the the right type of podcast we wanted to make. And so it's really great to hear that, you know, we're in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Emily. Well, thanks again for your time. Have a great night. You too. Bless. I like how she thought of the best question and she wasn't being she was like we're the ones who are interviewing you yeah and she thought of the whole like well like how do you forgive god and i was just like oh my goodness i was like how I, did we not think i almost that? said like this in the thing i was like 
man, we had like five sections to this <laughs> and we somehow missed. Yeah. Like that must reveal some sort of weird bias we well, all have. And yeah. what's funny is we literally like just a couple weeks ago finished a sermon series at current on forgiveness. And one of the weeks they did was on forgiving God. And it still wasn't even on my mind when I put those questions together. Well, like even when she said it, there was a split second where I went, can we go there? And then I was like, Oh wait, like, yeah, like we, we should totally be able to go there. That's what like 90% of the Bible is. Right. It's like trying to figure out how to forgive God. That's, that's 90% of the Bible. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's, it's at least 90% of the Old Testament. Well, I mean, there's so many Psalms that are like the writer crying out like, why have you abandoned me? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like. What we should do is cut out all the part of her bringing it up and just real quick right now record being like, so I have a question for you. How do we forgive God? <laughs> we have a question that we wrote well in advance, and we would hate ourselves if we didn't think of it. But luckily, we did think of it, and it's this. How, what happens when we need to forgive God? I actually thought her better question of what do I want was also a really yeah. good yeah, question. Yeah, fantastic. When you, when you think about it, ultimately, like that's the question we should be asking because all the bad questions that aren't helpful. It's like, if we really say, well, what do I want? And if it, what do, what do I want is to get rid of the suffering I'm experiencing from this hurt. Well, then that completely changes the way we approach it. Then if what I want is to be proven right or to make you pay or to, which ultimately like what she said is true. If you, if you the question is, if your desire is, I want you to pay the deeper desire is because I think if you pay, then my suffering will go away. Like that, that was perfect. And she just like that. Well, that music you hear right now is a sign that this episode of the better questions podcast is over. And you know, I really loved that conversation we just had, and the last couple episodes where I wasn't here present, I got thrown under the bus a couple times, and I've been inspired to practice forgiveness, and against my better judgment, I'm going to forgive Chris and Dan for throwing me under the bus so many times when I wasn't there. So guys... It's all under the under the bridge. Good thing your ability to forgive us isn't contingent upon us being sorry. <laughs> I mean, it would be great, but you know, also like, I, I guess I forgive you guys or something like that. Well, if you were in as inspired by this conversation <laughs> as Andrew was, why don't you go ahead and subscribe either on YouTube or on whatever podcast app you use so that you can be notified every time we release an awesome new episode of the Better Questions podcast. Also, if you don't already follow us on social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share it so that other people can be blessed as well. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Better Questions podcast. We'll see you next week. Do 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 do.
That's not even Batman. <laughs> Every time I listen to the podcast, I'm like, okay, try and remember this song. And then I just can't. 